America. My name is I'm Yosef from Pong. I come to you live every Thursday about this time. And I just, I just want to tell you that the feminization of school and labor is not necessarily progress. If you, like me, think that a lot of our gender, traditional gender norms are themselves formed of racial control and white supremacy, then finding out that we're substituting white male racial norms with <laughs> white female race, um, racial norms doesn't necessarily mean it's good for black people. I don't want to come back and, you know, 20 years and find out that like, you know, it's, it's been a great 20 years for women, but yet black people are still in the gutter. And I think it's preventable. I just think we need to actually have a keener eye in what's happening and why it's happening. And uh, that's why I'm doing this show. So when it happens, you won't say like, oh, I'm really surprised that it turns out that women, especially white women are doing well, but black people are still like not doing so hot. I'm telling you why that's the case. Because we've, uh, we've found a way to substitute one form of white supremacy for the other gendered form of white supremacy. And it's going to look different. <laughs> white women will keep you down in a way that's different from the way that white men keep you down. But yet, uh, you will still be down. And, that's a, and that is uh, the problem. And so we need to kind of, uh, kind of think about what's going on and go a little bit deeper into the subject. So I have this book. Men and, Men and Boys by Richard Reeves. Very, I saw a very good interview with him on Breaking Points. And so I got his book and the book holds up and the interview is good. And he's just a kind of a thoughtful guy saying like, you know, the boys are not doing particularly well. They're not doing particularly well in school. He cites a study that says like in the top 10%, girls make up two thirds of the top 10% and um, it's reversed in the bottom 10%. <laughs> so... What does that mean? It means that once we, and he suggests that once we remove the barriers to women, both ideological and programmatic barriers to women doing well in school, it turns out they just outcompete men. And that would be fine. That would be fine if it doesn't suggest there might be a structural advantage um, that, that girls have, or if it were leading to justice. If like, if, if the girls who were out competing the men within these systems would then go on to lead us to a better nation for everybody involved, a net positive, that would be a great thing. But I, 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 I don't think that. I think it's just reproducing all of our same institutions, except <laughs> all of our same institutional hierarchies, except with a, a different gendered skew. Um, and that's, you know, I, I, I want black people to be made whole. So that's, that's the problem I have with that notion. So I went and I, so I read, I read his book. And so I went and I looked at my own university with respect to these numbers. And after the break, I'm, I'm going to give you some numbers from the University of Georgia. All right. So let me hit the beat. To the beat Never change the ways for the world or the government If it was the president, then I would state facts You leave it up to me, I paint the White House black And it can feature in your front Never change the ways for the world or the government If it was 
was the president, then I would stay fat. You leave it up to me, I paint the White House black and it can feature in your front. And I am back. All right, so let's look at the University of Georgia. And I grabbed a random year, 1979, because I figured, I figured um, that was as good a year as any. Uh, I wanted a few decades ago. Post, because you go to the 40s, you find out like no women were in school. And then you go, and then things like in the late 70s and early 80s, things come close to being parody. So at the University of Georgia in 1979, these are the numbers of men and women and you look and it looks like it's it's mostly 50 50 and you want it around 50 50 uh for a variety of reasons i will talk about those reasons later and so mostly 50 50 few like a hand like a negligible i would consider that a negligible amount more men than women but mostly 50 50 like gender parity and when i see gender parity i feel like that's pretty good right then i look at the university of georgia in 2021 and you know what it is not? 50-50. Let me bring up the data. So roughly 50-50 in 79. And in 2021, it is 64-36, which is different than 50-50. 64-36 is different than 50-50. And that's 64 yeah, that the freshman class is 64.36. So you got to figure out what that means, people. You got to understand what that means. Um, and what Reeves argues and suggests is that, like, since we don't really know why that's the case, we don't really know what homeostasis means. We don't, we don't really, we don't think, we don't have any reason to believe, because this is all very new and it's happening very fast. And we don't, we don't know what homeostasis means. We don't know like where, what even looks like. Um, we don't know what even looks like. We, we can guess, but do we, do we really want to wait until it's 80, 20 before we sound the alarm and saying that like, huh, schools are not either relevant to society because if men still dominate society but women dominate schools that means schools aren't relevant to society or they're not the latter the they just don't function in the preparatory manner that we that we pretend that they do do we want to wait till it's 80 20 to find that out i would rather not i'd rather i'd rather figure out like you know what's going on what's in, in the structure of school that makes that makes it the case that women are out competing men and it's like It'd be one thing if women were out competing men, but it were leading to a better society, but women are out competing men and it's leading to the same society. <laughs> um, so that just means that there's a structural advantage without any net benefit for justice, uh, except antecedent rules. And, you know, so what Reeves says is the solution could be, the solution could be just hold men back a year and have them be older in school because their frontal lobes develop differently. I think that's all BS. I mean, I, I think there are cultural reasons. I think there are cultural reasons why it's advantageous for society to have, like, <laughs> to, to reward uh, people who do what they're told and non-threatening in a non-threatening way. And that's like, you know, 
women. And also, let's be honest, if I were just to look at a system, the education system as it stands, it's designed by, administered by, and evaluated by white women. So is it really that big of a surprise that white girls do so well in school? Like, like just like, just on the face, like you, you just look at who creates the standards and who administers the standards and who evaluates the standards. And then like, and, and that demographic is doing well. Like it, it might just be that there's special pleading, <laughs> like, like they design school for themselves and then for their own cultural ticks and habits. And then it turns out that their cultural ticks and habits are rewarded in school. Um, so you, you got, you just gotta understand that that's, that's what it means. And so, and it might not lead to progress, right? So if at the end of the year, if at, if everything engenders flips in the next 40 years, but black people are still on the gutter, it just means that as I suspect our genders are racialized. So what we're going to get is the other form of white supremacy, the other gendered form of white supremacy. You know, it's not that much harder to tell a white woman that she's in the wrong than it is to tell a white guy. The backlash will be different, but like it'll be tears followed by like someone calling to get the gun on you, whereas the white guy will just pull the gun. But like it's it's the backlash will be different, but like the result is still going to be the same. The result is still going to be the same. And so we got to think about that. What that means? And you know, I was talking to a friend about uh, agents both real estate agents, two people, two different people told me that it turns out that real estate agents are becoming more and more, um, uh, women, there are more and more women becoming real estate agents. I didn't know that I, I, you know, I'm not big in the real estate agents, but it turns out that more and more real estate agents are women and more and more literary and cultural agents, literary agents are women, right? And that would be progress if I thought that that ends with more people buying house, more black people getting houses in commercial real estate and also more black people getting, uh, you know, better books published or control over, you know, the media creations. But since I don't think that's the case, I don't see that the, 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 the gender um, switch is going to be particularly good for black people. In fact, if we don't watch out, it might be bad for black people because it'll be under the, pro under the veneer of progress while, while actually, you know, just doing the same, um, yeah, reporting the same uh, results for black people. So we just have to, we have to be honest about, well, one, we have to be honest about since our gender no uh, uh, narratives are dominated by racial narratives. So like what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman is like colonial. <laughs> so, and as colonial, they're going to be anti-subordinate uh, group. That's black people, that's us. So what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman is already in America white. Like the man, the masculine identity is white and the feminine identity is white. So when you switch those two, you're just switching out different forms of colonial ideologies, right? So, um, yeah, so you just have to understand that, you know, gender progress in an America that's like with steeped, steeped with both genders are steeped and emerge out of a colonial legacy. doesn't necessarily mean like racial progress. It just means gender. <laughs> it means like now white daughters will get what their white sons 
got in some ways, but that just means like black people still stay in the gutter. Except the you know now more black women will be used by white women as foils to kind of you know get their stink off of off of the truth of their power grab. So, like I said, when I look at UGA's undergraduate class, there are, there are stakes in having. Look at those numbers for the freshmen and the sophomore. Then now this is the COVID year. Maybe it got better after COVID, but if it got worse, would anyone care? Or if it stayed the same, would anyone care? When do we start sounding the alarms about like this might not be okay? And I say this, and this is, you know, it's a flagship public university. And I say this like compared with the uh 1979 was 50 50. so like this has all happened very quickly and before that it was mostly male so this has all happened very quickly and i don't and yeah do i think yeah i i mean i i, I think white women are gaming the system for themselves and it's not going to be critical for themselves and it's not going to be particularly good for black people right so uh, it'd be one thing if the feminization of education were leading to like more better union involvement but union involvement's at an all-time low. So it's not exactly, it's just not particularly good for working people. And we need to figure out what that means. And I'll, the argument, the argument in a sentence is that since the gendering in America is complementary in a way that supports a racial hierarchy, switching the genders out from a male-dominated society to a female-dominated society is not going to be good for the racialized out-group, which already has egalitarian relations anyway, which already has relatively egalitarian relations anyway. There's a, I was talking to a friend today and she was like, yeah, you know, I couldn't really watch Archie Bunker growing up because it reminded me too much of my house. To which, um, and I was like, well, yeah, but you know what? Good times was made by the same people and it turns out that like, it, it, like that's, it was made by the same same people made Archie Bunker made good times but it's the black household is fundamentally different and when the black household takes the white household's norms it becomes a disaster for a thousand different reasons um because the white household's a mess so nobody should take their norms anyway and then she said well the Jeffersons was kind of close and I was like well yeah but George Jefferson was a clown in a way that Archie Bunker wasn't. <laughs> like he was a clown. And so what, so that's, that's actually a, a fitting, um, and she was like, yeah, but I like Sanford and Son. I was like, yeah, cause that's, that's, <laughs> that's black masculinity and black fatherhood. Um, and Sanford spent most of that episode, like trying to get away from Aunt Esther, who, <laughs> who was giving him more guff than uh, any white guy doesn't put up with Aunt Esther the same the way Samford had to, and that was that's just that's just black life. Um, and and that's 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 what it means. And you have to understand this. You understand this, and things get easy. One thing he does say in this book that makes sense, and we need to think about what it means to decouple fatherhood from um, decouple fatherhood from providing from being the provider. Right. Like I, and, and establish fatherhood as being like direct contact and cultural development for your kid, not just supplying a check. 
right? It's always surprised me. Well, it's not surprised me, but a lot of white fathers just think of themselves as providers and think of what they do is supplying a check and then they seed the children onto their spouse. But I don't think women are any better at raising um, children than men. And so like, it's always surprised. So in, at least in my household, I just suspect everything that my kids learn, it's going to be because I tell them. <laughs> They're not going to learn it in school. They're not going to learn it from, you know, friends or anything else. Anything that matters that my kids learn, they're probably going to learn because it came out of my mouth. And I think all black parents should think about that. Because, you know, white parents, and they have schools and institutions that do their work for them, that create their mediocre kids uh, for them. They can trust institutions. Black people, we can't trust our institutions because our institutions are run by them. And so what that means is that you just have to know that anything that matters, anything that matters that your kid's going to learn is going to come from like your mouth. One of the reasons I do this is so that my kids can watch this later on and like learn things that maybe they can't hear at, at seven or six or five from me talking to the people right now. So anything that your kid like you can't trust institutions. I don't trust the schools to teach my kids. I teach my kids everything they need to learn about reading, writing, math, and everything else. I do not trust any of these schools to teach my kids what they need to know. And, you know, my kids do, do well in school because I teach them. I don't trust the teachers. The white, these white teachers and the teachers in general, they're not for your kids. You can't trust. It's like Del Curry didn't send um, Steph Curry to, like, a different league to teach him to play basketball. Del Curry taught, like, or what you call it? Um, uh, LeVar Ball didn't, didn't, like, he taught his kids basketball. <laughs> he didn't say, like, well, I'll just send them to a bunch of basketball camps and they'll learn at the basketball camps. LeVar Ball was like, nope, if I want my kids to learn basketball, I'm going to be the one teaching. Barry Bonds' dad, same thing. Ken Griffey's dad, same thing. If they're going to learn this thing that's very hard. I can't trust anybody else to do it because these institutions are not working um, so I'm going to have to learn and then teach my kids. I can't trust a professional. And that's, you know, that's an extra tax on black parents, but that's the life we live. Um, so decouple fatherhood from providing and understand that and understand fatherhood as being part of like direct assistance and direct engagement. Don't just think that fatherhood means coming like providing a check black people we don't get this confused a lot of white people get this confused but and then they're surprised when their kid screws up because like maybe the, the person they thought would actually like raise the kid the nurture the kid were, was incompetent because a lot of a lot of parents are incompetent a lot of mothers are incompetent i don't presume that mothers are particularly good at this just because they like birthed the kid a lot of mothers are bad at the job they don't have the patience for it, it takes a lot of patience and you know a lot of these self self self-absorbed self-absorbed people men or women don't have the patience to actually teach a kid from nothing something right so and then i think this will allow professional women to 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 to, to understand their role as mothers as also making money <laughs> right so um or primarily making money so it'll open up decouple parenthood from either providing or domesticity and that way we can figure out how like both money and cultural development happens in a more responsible way.
because just the casual assumption that mothers are good at raising children then bleeds into the casual assumption that teachers should be women that bleeds into the casual assumption that like all these kind of cultural development should happen through women and and, and that's and then they end up gaming the system for the benefit of little girls and other women and then you can't be surprised when that happens right you can't be surprised when that happens and so just like just understand that cultural development happens for both genders in both in two different ways and and what could be what so how do i explain um how do i explain the prominence of women in these institutions and they're just flat out out competing men because they're out competing men in antecedent rules they're not governing the institutions they're participating in the institutions as the rules are given to them they're doing what they're told and they're doing what they're told better than guys and we like women who do what they're told so we train women from long from birth to do what they're told and it turns out in a game that's like a long-term game of Simon Says, they're very good at doing what they were told, right? But that might not be adequate to both governing in a democracy and what we need in schools, right? So there are the people who play the game and excel in the game, and then there are people who come up with the rules of the game. And these are two different skills. One is governing and legislating. The other is participating. And if you get confused, you know, there's a reason why Michael Jordan might not want to design basketball. He could, he can play in the game, but do you really want him deciding like what constitutes, you know, a three pointer? Like the the latter are the governing decisions, and you need you need to not just follow a script in order to govern, in a way. And like we don't really talk about since we don't talk about governing, we don't talk about like how oh, that's a different muscle, and traditionally it's a gendered muscle. Um, that like we kind of expect guys to do right so just kind of think about these things think about the difference between participating in a game with antecedent rules that means rules that you come into already taking and then the other kind of responsibility that concerns governing and making the rules for success and making the and and defining what constitutes success and that's going to be a different muscle than just being able to do what you're told now, for the top 20% of guys who, you know, the 10% of white guys who run the show, they like having an army of, of, of women. Um, Genzo liked having his, you know, Genzo, you know, of the Domi, uh, the homie, he liked having a bunch of women who would do what he was told because it's convenient. And you don't have to worry about threats from other men. And the whites like, <laughs> the white guys like a bunch of complicit women have around them because they don't have to worry about threats from other men and black people we are other men almost by definition except obama had to go out of his way to show that he wasn't other men <laughs> he had to show both white guys and white women that he he was not other men he is a white woman all right um so thank you for your time did I just say that Obama went out of his way to show white people that he was a white woman? I might have done. I might have said that. And it might be true. Um, and we got to figure out what that means. And I will talk to you about something completely different next week. Take care. Bye. And
Yeah. By the way, when I say that, I do mean that his speech in 2004 when he said, there is no black America, there is no white America, there's the United States of America, when there very much is a black America, there very much is a white America, and we need solutions for a black America, and we need to actually tell the truth to white America. And so he said that in a way to say that I'm not going to do nothing for black people. All right. Take care.